Well, good morning. morning. Come on, church. Good morning. morning. Glad to see you all here. Hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. As Pastor Brandon said, uh, we will be continuing in our 1 Corinthians series today. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. So if you want to go ahead and start turning there, whether whether that be physically or digitally, turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, focusing on verses 12 through 20 today. Uh, Excited to be able to uh, speak to you today, and um, uh, next week we'll feel, I know the stage looks a little bit more Christmassy, a little Adventy, okay, and we did the candle, next week it'll be full-on Advent, okay, so you got a part of it, we're, we're easing you into it, okay, but you still get First Corinthians today, but next week, as Brandon said, we will jump into a special three-week Advent series. Um, so, First uh, Corinthians chapter 6, uh, verses 12 through 20. The Bible says this, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take members of Christ, take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one with her? For as it is written, the two shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one in with one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside of the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you have been bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. All right, here we go. I think we need to pray. (laughs) Father, thank you for for your word. God, we thank you that you're good and good to us. And that, Lord, when we come to passages that might seem difficult in our, in our finite mind, God, help us to understand the greater context that, Lord, you love us, you care for us. You've designed us with a purpose, a perfect purpose, to honor and glorify you. And that, God, as we fulfill that uh, in, our, in our walk with you, that, God, it is fulfilling to us. That our fulfillment comes not in Uh, what we might find in and of ourselves, but God, what we find in you. So Lord, help us today. Speak to us through your word. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul's going to break it down for the Corinthians here and directly challenge some of the thinking that they've embraced, that some things that have led them astray. And there's a topic here, and it's a topic that we've all kind of thought about. It's something that we've all kind of thought about for ourselves, whether we've talked about it before or not, but it's this idea of Christian liberty, Christian or Christian freedom, right? We, we think about this. You, you have made decisions. Let me just let you know, you have made decisions about this topic, whether, whether you've done so purposefully or it's just kind of been put on you or you've just kind of navigated it however uh, that, that seemed best at the time. It's a topic that rarely gets talked about um, in, formal, in a formal sense because it can be pretty divisive. 
Uh, it can feel like, you know, uh, there are whole denominations that, that kind of go in one way because they say, well, we do this. We believe in this and this is allowed and that's not allowed. And so we don't like this. And so we're going to be against this thing. And so we're going to put, put ourselves over here because we're against this because no Christian should do that. And then you got other groups that are, that are like, hey, whatever goes, do anything you want. And as long as you say the name of Jesus, then like you're all good. And, and, there's, and so what happens is that you get all these different Christians talking about what is quote unquote allowed or permissible and it can divide us very easily. So uh, preachers and pastors tend to kind of stay away from it because it can be divisive. Uh, but we're going to go, we're going to plow right into it, straight into it, okay? We don't, we don't, we don't skirt around things around here. But um, we, have, we have made, like I said, we've, we've all have thoughts on what is appropriate for Christians to do or not do. We've all made personal decisions on what we ourselves are comfortable with. And our families have come to understandings around the topic of Christian liberty. So when we come to a topic like this, in, in a passage like this, it's important for us to know what else does the Bible say about Christian liberty? What else has God's word for us uh, in, in this regard? And so we look at a, a passage like John chapter 8, and we read in there that, that whoever the Son sets free is, maybe you know it, free indeed, right? And this is a beautiful thing, that in the freedom that comes in Christ, we are no longer slaves to sin. We're free. We know from Romans chapter 8 that if we are in Christ, there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ. And that's a good word too. It's a beautiful thing that in the lack of condemnation, the lack of condemnation that comes only in Christ gives freedom. Freedom to live for him. And the Corinthian Christians had made some uh, made some assumptions, and they had, they had their own ideas about Christian liberty as well. But they, can I say, like we, needed a strong reminder from Paul about what it means for, to live for Christ and to not misunderstand or abuse the freedom that we are given. <clears throat> I remember being young in the faith and, and asking a lot of questions about what was, quote, allowed and what was, quote, not allowed what was permissible and what was prohibited. And it felt like, and I don't know if this was your experience with regard to Christianity, it felt like the list of things that were prohibited was really long and the things that were allowed was really short. It was like, go to Sunday school, go to church, go to VBS, and we're going to have revival twice a year and we're going to plan it and we know when we're getting revived, it's going to happen, right? And so... Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Some of y'all are like, what? It's okay. You didn't miss anything. So, um, <laughs> but we go, we, we come into this idea and we, we have this, this thought about what is allowed? What should I do? What should I do? Christians are really good and churches are really good at telling you what not to do. I'll tell you what not to do. Don't do this, don't go there, don't be with him, don't say that to her, don't be in this place, surely don't watch that or listen to this. And the list of prohibited actions gets really long, and we leave the appropriate and the allowable actions very short. And can I just say that that is a grand disservice to us as believers in Christ. For us to make the prohibited list really long, the not allowed list really long, 
And the what is allowed list gets really short and it mostly just centers around go to church and be a good Christian and, be, and don't steal on your taxes and don't do this and don't do that, right? And we kind of, we rob ourselves from the joy of being free in Christ. So <clears throat> I was, uh, I, I grew up in, a, in a, an interesting church context where there was a lot of the this is what good boys and girls do. This is what good Christians do. And the prayer was always, help me be a better Christian and all these things, right? And, and so that was, that was my context. But I had narrowed, part of it was me, right? That, that I had narrowed Christianity down to the certain set of actions that I felt were prescribed for my life. So I did those few things. And beyond that, Christianity had no bearing, had nothing to say. Jesus had no no real reason to inje be injected into any other part of my life. So I had this like Jesus stuff over here and it kind of can like ebb and flow. It can go kind of further away or closer in depending on the season. And all the rest of my life over here felt like it was completely divorced from God because Jesus wasn't speaking into all this stuff. He only spoke on Sundays or he was only, a, only around at VBS time. Or only right before I was going to eat food, I didn't want to choke, so I had to pray. <laughs> and, and so you, you, we, I had narrowed Christianity down such a small, small thing. I remember going to a Christian conference, and my worldview of Christianity just got completely blown up. I thought that Christianity was this and it turns out I walk into this, it's a Christian conference in, in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm a senior in college. I am, you know, and, and I walk in and I thought I knew what Christianity was and I thought I understood what it meant to follow Jesus and my mind was just completely blown away. Christianity was so much bigger than I thought it was. My eyes were like wide slam open. I'm pretty sure there are pictures. I might try to find one. Pictures of what my eyes looked like that whole week and they were like wide open because I'm like, this is Jesus too, and this, and we can do that? See, what I had glimpsed was, instead of the prohibitive nature of Christianity, the permissive nature of following Jesus. Instead of just, now it says it here, right? In verse 18, it says, flee from sexual immorality, which is important. It's also important for us to know what are we fleeing from, but what are we running towards? Because I can run, and I was talking to somebody between the services, and they said, you know, that's really actually pretty good because if you just decide you're going to run away from one thing, you might run smack dab into something else. I was like, man, maybe you should preach the second service. I'll just go home. Okay. <clears throat> but Christianity became so much more than just prohibitive. It became permissive in the, in the worship of God. What does Paul say here in verse 12? It says, in quotes, Look here, in my Bible, it, the, this verse, these words are in quotation marks. All things are lawful for me. Is it in quotes in y'all's Bible? It's in mine. What Paul is doing here is he's quoting the argument that the Corinthians have been giving to him. He's taking their words. He's saying, basically, I've heard it said this, and then he's going to rebut it. He's going to go back and he's going to say something uh, against that. He says, I've heard it said, basically, all things are lawful for me. But Paul here addresses the argument that the Corinthians are giving, but he quickly gives the response, but not all things are helpful. 
In some other uh, translations, it says, but not all things are profitable. So Paul's saying, yeah, I've heard it said that all, I hear you saying, Paul, all things are lawful for me. And I'm just going to tell you something. They may be lawful, but that doesn't mean that they're profitable. That doesn't mean that they're helpful. There's something in our human nature that, that, that being given freedom opens the door for the testing of that freedom. It's like, you know, I have two young children, and, and this is what happens, right? You give them freedom. We give them a yard, right? We bought a house that has a backyard, and it's like a great place for my kids to play. And like a couple of weeks ago, we're searching all around the house. My son, who's four, has gone all the way down to the neighbor's yard, like 300 yards away where we can't see him. He's down there playing on the playground, who told him that was okay, right? And he's, he's down there and he's just swinging and like loving life and like all that stuff. He goes down there one time. He's been down there one time to kind of hang out. And then now it's like, well, that's where I go. <laughs> Literally ran outside. I was like, I, I remember walking outside. I was like, oh, he'll be back in a second. Wasn't back in a second. 15 minutes later, I'm like, okay, there's Maverick down there at the, they weren't even home. Like what's going on? <laughs> just down there doing it. But the testing of that freedom, right? Where is the boundary? How close can I get to the edge before I fall off? Don't we do that? Don't we, in our human nature, kind of say, like, I think I'm okay. I think I'm okay. I think I'm okay. And then all of a sudden, you're not okay. Well, how did I get here? One step at a time, right? Just because you can doesn't mean that you should, and the Corinthians have forgotten that. All things are lawful for me, they would say. Paul would say, but yes, but not all things are helpful. And again, they would say, all things are lawful for me, and, and Paul would say, but I will not be dominated by anything. We'll come back to that. And a third time, here, here it is again, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. The Corinthians here are referencing this idea that they're pointing to the argument that um, sexual intimacy was an appetite that is to be satisfied, like hunger. So they were utilizing that. They were using it in a, in a very perverted way. Instead of a, a gift to be cherished and cared for, they were just using it as this appetite that needed to be satisfied. And in any way you can satisfy it is fine. And the response from Paul is that God will destroy one with the other. You think you're going to, you will be destroyed. There's a clear escalation in these phrases. Listen to this. I, I thought, as I was reading this, I was like, man, it just goes from bad to worse to everything's like the sky is falling, right? Because it says some things, some of us here, and I, and I thought about us as a group, as, as a church, and as a community, as a, as a society, some of us are doing things that while permissible are not at all helpful with our Christian walk. Whatever it is, it's just a downright distraction from the thing that God wants most for your life. It's just a distraction. It's fine. It's not outright sinful by, its, by itself on on. Uh, if you take it on its bare merit, it's fine. But what happens is, is that it becomes a distraction so that I'm not growing, I'm not walking in the way that I am called to because I'm distracted. I'm over here, I'm looking at that thing, I'm, you know, and you've got kind of spiritual ADD, you're, you're, you're looking around and you get distracted so easily and it, it feels very disjointed. <clears throat> and it 
Some of us, though, look at the second verse or the second kind of uh, statement here. Some of us, if we're honest, are being dominated and controlled by good things that we have elevated to God things. They are, these are the things that um, have been allowed into our lives, the blessings of God that have become the burdens as the weight of that habit, that relationship, that circumstance crushes us and it demands our, all of our time, all of our abilities, and all of our money, Okay. You are being dominated by this thing. I heard it said, a, a, a wise pastor that I knew, he, he, he said, Matt, if you want to know, if you want to take a good look at what is dominating your life, two things. Where do you go and what do you spend money on? So if you take your bank account and you say, man, here we go, I'm breaking it down into categories. And I had somebody confess to me between services, hey, Matt, that's food for me. And I'm like, me too, man. You know, it's, it's that time of year. It's the season's eatings, you know? Okay, so, uh, and, and so you, you feel like that this thing's dominating me is, this, is food or, or whatever it is. Let me ask you this. What are you willing to go out of your way to get? What am I willing to drive 20 minutes out of the way to find? What will I plan my day around? That might give a, an insight into things that could be could, could be trying to dominate us. It wants our time. It wants our abilities. It wants our money. I talked about the good things. These are good things that God maybe has given that have been elevated to God things. You serve them now. They've, they've ascended to the throne of your heart. The third category is probably the most terrifying, if I'm honest. Some of us, God forbid, are being utterly destroyed from the inside out because we have taken a beautiful thing, and in this passage, it's, it's talking about uh, sexual relationships, and twisted it into a wicked perversion. The beautiful gift that God has given now resembles a snarling beast that seeks to devour you, taking down your spiritual and mental health, your relationships, and your family. And can I tell you, in a gathering this large, whether you're in person or you're online, there's a good chance that at least somebody in this room, if not multiple people, are being completely consumed and devoured by sin in their life. And can I tell you something? While that is the most terrifying thing to admit, redemption is right on the other side of it. The good news of Jesus, ooh, it's coming for you. Just get ready. It's like a few verses down. Get ready, okay? But what happens is, is that these, this beautiful gift that God gives, and, and here what he's talking about is the relationship between husband and wife and the, and the beauty of, of that physical intimacy, it just it, it gets twisted and turned, and it begins to disintegrate the fabric of families and of, of mental health and of spiritual health and of relationships. Can I tell you something? Sin always starts small and it always starts secret, but it never stays there. Sin will grow and grow and grow. And how do things grow? You feed it. And when we feed it and when we feed it and when we feed it, it begins to go from a distraction to something that dominates and from something that dominates to something that will destroy. And just like that person who goes closer and closer and closer to the edge. You could be falling off the cliff before you ever realize 
that you are going in the wrong direction. That's why Paul is telling us to flee. (laughs) He's like, just run away. Because sometimes you don't even know how close you are to destruction. Just, here's a good idea. Run away from that, and then we'll figure out where we are. Run away from the edge, and then we'll assess where we are. Paul continues by saying that the body is meant for the Lord and the Lord for the body, that the short-lived, you can put this in air quotes, intimacy of sexual immorality pales in comparison to the fulfillment that comes in in personal relationship with Christ, in in the beauty of what God has designed for us, in the relationship with God through Christ is our only hope for life. Verse 14 says, And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. This is an amazing reminder of what God has done, what he is doing, and what he will do. God has raised Christ from the dead. He is now offering salvation. And he will raise up those in Christ by his power. This is the past, present, and future hope for all of us that God has done, is doing, and will do. This is, you know, a lot of times, uh, you know, preachers will try to land the plane at the end of the service on the gospel. This is like the middle, like the mid-flight, like refuel gospel. Like here's the gospel right here because um, it's saying that the only hope that we have is that we're raised up by his power that the gospel is the only hope to to keep us from being distracted or dominated or destroyed, that the gospel is our only hope. The past, present, and future, it's so easy for us to get stuck on one of those. And and my my background, you know, is, is... I have an undergraduate degree in psychology. And so I think like with my like psychology hat on a lot of times and I'll think about like people get stuck, right? You got people that are always thinking about the past. You got folks that are like right here in the now and they disregard the past or the future. And you got people that are always future thinkers and they disregard the now and they, and the past is like, oh my gosh, that's so far away. I don't even care about that. And we, get, we tend to get stuck in one of those areas. But what I'm telling you is a holistic view of Christianity understands what God has done, what God is doing, and what God will do. In your life, in your family's life, in our community, it begins to encapsulate all that God is, has done, is doing, and will do. And that gives hope. I've got hope because of what God has done. I've got hope because of what God is doing. And man, I got hope because I know what he will do. Don't get stuck on one of the three. Understand for each of us that the good news of Jesus is past, present, and future. Verse 15. So like I oftentimes do whenever I have the opportunity to to speak, I uh, I asked Courtney, uh, my wife, about it. And I was like telling her about the sermon. I was like, you know, it's about Christian liberty. What do you, what would you like have for people to say? You know, what, what do you think about that? What maybe have I missed? What, what is something that's important? And her response was really good. And, it, and it's something I actually had not thought of to this point. But she said, it's, it's, it's important to understand that Christian liberty happens in the midst of community. I was like, wait a second. Did you read the rest of the verses? Because it says, do you not know that you are bo- your, that your bodies are members of Christ? Yeah. 
That the beauty, the beauty that what God does, the beauty of what God does is that he brings us into a family. And that family is good for you. Good for you in all sorts of different ways. Good for you mentally, spiritually, emotionally, meeting of physical needs. And sometimes you just got to have somebody that's there for you. That's good. You need that. I need you. You need me. We need each other because life is hard. <laughs> and what God does is he brings us into a family, he makes us members of Christ. You know, maybe you're a person here who's sitting here today who um, is thinking about what it might cost you to follow Jesus. I hear that a lot with people that that don't know Jesus, do, do not yet know Jesus, right? They'll say, man, I, I really, I, sounds good. It's Jesus stuff. But man, I really like my life. I like what I do. I like where I go. I like all these things. And they, they start counting the cost and the cost kind of gets high. It's like, man, it's a lot I got to give up. I think for us, and, and if we, I think oftentimes we'll, we'll try to like mitigate that and we'll say like, it's not that much. It's not that bad. It's not that it's actually kind of the wrong question. It's the wrong answer to the question. It's not, I shouldn't be trying to like tell you that it doesn't cost that much because it actually is very costly, right? But that what we gain is far greater than what we've ever lost. Um, one of our elders, John, he on, the, on his way out, just dropped a nugget on me. He was like, you know, it's easy to think if you're a baby and you have a baby bottle, you know, you take that baby bottle away from that baby at a certain point, right? And it might feel like you're taking it from that baby and that baby's going to let you know that they don't like that, right? It's like, excuse me, that's my bottle. Give it back right now, right? They don't say that. They just cry. Anyway, I'm just, you know. But that's, their, that's the desire of their heart. But how much would we miss the good food of what's to come if all we ever did was drink from the bottle. I like that. Thanks, John. He's a good guy. He's helpful. <laughs> Paul continues in verse 15 to the follow, and, and following to display the difficulty of chasing things of the world. Look what it says. Shall I take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Here asking if the reader understands the gravity of intimacy with sin over intimacy with God. He's saying that when you become, when you become intimate with sin, that you become one with that. And he's saying, are you as a person of Christ going to align yourself and be intimate with sin, knowing that sin is destructive and Christ gives life? Are you going to join yourself with Something that is ultimately going to end in destruction. There's an excellent book by Jerry Bridges called Respectable Sins. I would, I would uh, encourage you to uh, take a look at it. And in the book, he details sins that we often uh, ourselves in Christianity get cozy with. Um, and, and there's a number of different ones. You know, we're pretty cozy with certain little sins and things that we, we like let slide and that aren't a big deal to us and all that. Well, it's never anything that anybody else, you know, other people struggle with big sins. And, but my sins are kind of like, they're household sins. They're fine. They're domesticated. They don't bite, which is a lie, right? But we, we, we make our sins respectable. Everybody else's sins are, oh my gosh, the audacity of their sin. But my sin... It's docile. And that's the lie that we tell ourselves. My sin is okay. Your sin's really bad. But the root of all of that sin is ungodliness. 
that living a life with little to no thought of God, living a life with little to no thought of God's will, living a life with little to no thought of God's glory, living a life with little to no thought of my own dependence on God, leads to the respectable sins and oftentimes the very unrespectable, I guess that's a word, dis- uh, the, the, the very outlandish sins that we that get, all the, get all the press. This is exactly what the Corinthians found uh, in their pursuit for pleasure. They had totally forgotten who had given them the good gift in the first place. They had turned to ungodliness. They had just disregarded God. And that sounds like harsh. It sounds like, man, they had completely turned away from the things of God and they had run after something that was totally like ungodly. Yeah, somewhat, but also it's a slow road to get there. And a lot of times people just kind of find themselves becoming more, become, becoming less dependent on God, becoming less connected to God, becoming less ready to seek God's will and not their own. And that's, that's my journey, right? I'll, uh, I, I won't do this outlandish thing right away, but man, that slow road will take you there. Doesn't matter if it takes you there in a day or a week or a month, it takes you to that same destination. Ungodliness produces destruction whether it takes you a day or a year. Paul, in the last bit of this chapter uh, uses the last bit of the chapter to highlight the severity of sexual sin. He contends that every other sin is outside of the body, but sexual sin is against one's own body. And here, here's, the, here's the thing. This may seem like it's not that big of a deal because uh, when it comes to our lust or our covetousness or whatever it is, because these may seem like victimless crimes. It's something that happens in your head or something that happens behind closed doors or something that happens in the, quote, privacy of your own home or whatever that means. And it might, might seem victimless, but the victim is this. A flippant attitude with regard to sin in general, proves problematic when you read this book. There's a, there's a couple of things that I've have been burned into my memory from, from studying God's word and, and you know going to school and things like that. One of those, and, and Brandon and I laugh about this, we had a professor who uh, he, he only really said five things, like over and over and over again. But you know those five things, I'm gonna tell you that right now. And one of those things that he said and he was this, this guy from, uh, from Oklahoma, and he, would, he, he had this very distinct accent, and, uh, and he would just say, class, God takes sin seriously. And you're like, okay, God takes sin seriously. Cool. Got it. Write it down. It's not going to be on the test. Whatever. But over and over and over and over again, if you read scripture, listen to this. It was sin that broke the bond between God and mankind. It was sin that caused our first parents, Adam and Eve, to be driven out of a perfect home and enter into the wilderness to struggle until they died. It was sin that pitted brother against brother and gives way to the first murder out of jealousy at Cain and Abel, right? It is sin that causes God to press the reset button on the whole world with a global flood. And we've only gotten through the first six chapters of the book. 
You can't deny sin, and you also can't mitigate, you can't say that sin's not a big deal. If we try to make sin a little, a small deal, then we will deny what this book has to say about sin. Never mind that the whole sacrificial system, right, that would be set up after this, that would, that would try to give man an understanding of who God is and try to give man a way to, to get to, 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 to love God and to these things like spilling the blood of animals and things like a, a scapegoat, things that are popular in our culture now that we think about, oh, a scapegoat, that comes from, from the overflow of what happens in sin, that your sin must be dealt with. It can't just sit there. It's not idle. Your sin is never in neutral. To take a casual view of sin is to undermine the perfect sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to this. Who endured all of what Genesis and every other book describes as sin. And as the perfect Jesus as, as our first parents would have the bond with their creator broken, Jesus would experience the brokenness on the cross with his father who was in heaven. He would take that. As our first parents are driven out of uh, the Garden of Eden, Jesus would be driven out of the city to be hung on a tree. Perfect correlation. As they were driven out, Jesus was driven out. As the sin that would pit brother against brother, Jesus experiences the sin that would pit people who watched him do miracles and knew he was a good man and knew that there was no sin in him. It would cause them to call for his crucifixion. Kill him. Jesus would take that because of sin, because of the sin that had gripped their hearts and the sin that grips our hearts as well. And that as God had to press the reset button on, on all of, on the whole world in the global flood, Christ comes and in a sense, God doesn't press reset, he presses redeem. To redeem us from the destruction that would come because of sin. To save us from sin now and from sin forevermore. Know this and know it well, and I hope that these words haunt you the same way that they haunt me. I want them to haunt you in the best way possible. God takes sin seriously. He takes it so seriously that he sends his son to purchase redemption on our behalf, to live the perfect life that we cannot, to die the brutal death that we all deserve, to purchase for us salvation if we by faith confess him and believe that he is the son of God, that we can have new life. That is free to us, but it is costly. Verse 19, God's gonna tie it all together right here. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you, are, you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. 
my observation here, the closing word that I'll give is this. Consider the Lord. Consider Him in the things that are just unhelpful in your walk, as it says before, the things that are distracting, the things that are not inherently bad or, you know, taking up too much, but the things that are a distraction. Consider those and consider the Lord and how He might change you in that. The little things that take up time and energy. Consider him in the multitude of things that would seek to dominate you. Can I just tell you something? There are things that want all of you. They want every piece of you. Every bit of your time, your energy, your money, your abilities. There are things that right now want it all. Consider the Lord. Take into account what he has done. How he has done everything. Purchased salvation for us. And now we have life in him so that we don't have to be dominated by what's outside. We have our hope and it is, on, it is in the inside. And consider him in the things that are destroying you from the inside out. Again, like I said, there are things in this room right now, I'm sure. Maybe there are things that are known but maybe there are things that are totally secret that are destroying you, destroying your own life, destroying your family's life, destroying your ability to walk with God faithfully. And you need to confess that. And like I said, the confession is not, it's a death in a sense, but it is the beginning of life. It is the beginning of life for you and for me, for each of us as we confess our sins, that there is goodness Oh, there's so much joy on the other side of that as God redeems you, as God changes you, as God makes you new once again. So we're going to go into a time of response. I'm going to pray for us. And I'll just ask you to consider what the Lord would have you to do today. Um, I know that oftentimes, you know, it's, it's not always clear what to do, but... Um, you know, we, we do come down to the front here. The, the elders, myself, uh, Pastor Charles, uh, Pastor Brandon, Pastor Jason are down here. We'd love to kind of hang out and we'd love to talk with you about that. You're not going to be judged or condemned or, or you know, we're not going to go and tell your stuff to a bunch of people. It's not really what it's about. We'd love to be able to pray for you, to love and care for you, to come alongside you. So um, during that time of response or even after the service, if you'd like to talk to somebody, we'd love to be able to talk with you.